1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever, with each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Uh, head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more and to subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your yearly subscription. Now on with the show. Fangoria. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice! He's gonna break! Bad rub! Bad rub! Ah! see a dead body. Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. I am unreasonably excited about this week's episode, folks. Our, our guest is a producer, screenwriter, and director whose work you may have seen in films such as Underwater, The Babysitter, Jane Got a Gun, Love and Monsters, and 2020's phenomenal rom-com, Spontaneous, which was one of my favorite movies of the past several years. Uh, and this week, he's back with an absolutely killer alien home invasion movie by the name of No One Will Save You, which hits Hulu this Friday, that's September 22nd. Today, he's here to talk to us about another uh, debatably less successful extraterrestrial horror project, the miniseries version of Stephen King's The Tommyknockers. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Brian Duffield. Duffield, how are you Hello. doing today? I'm good. How you doing, man? I'm very excited to have you here. I feel like I've been trying to get you on this show for, uh, well, for the past three years. Yeah, I wanted to play hard to get. So yes. Well, it. Well, it, <laughs> it worked, and I can tell you why it worked because I was sure that you'd already done the show once once we would set you in in here because Scott's been talking about trying to get you on for so long, uh, and and I, I and you know and I get it too, like because this show was born out of the pandemic essentially mm -hmm. we were in lockdown doing it, and oddly I tie so much of my thoughts on your movie or on your your career to the pandemic because that's when yeah. i you know saw spontaneous that's when during lockdown is you know when i saw love and monsters when i think right beforehand i underwater came out and i you know yeah. saw that and and so oddly you know in my mind you're kind of tied to, to to me being trapped in my house which i guess makes it appropriate for the, uh, the movie that you're here to pitch. so i, I am that is compliment yeah <laughs> This um this movie I I remember you telling me about No One Will Save You like a couple of years back or whenever whenever it was announced and you were like yeah this thing's gonna be fucking rad dude it's like there's I would have said that but keep going you were like yeah these are my <laughs> words this isn't my telling but you were like yeah it's uh it's about a lady um she's in her house and then a, a very aggressive uh you know alien comes in. And that's all you told me. And I was like, sold. I don't need to know anything further. And I think I specifically told you that it was a gray that walks in and that's what got you all hot and bothered. Well, I do want to talk about that. I didn't know if you wanted me to mention, mention <laughs> oh, yeah. about it. But, um, yeah, it's a gray alien. And some one of the earliest conversations we had about this was that 
no one ever puts the goddamn grays in in a movie. Um, my first question for you is why the hell not? Like they're so if this is what the popular conception of what a extraterrestrial life is, why do you think that outside of like, I don't know, communion and maybe you could kind of twist if you look at it the right way, fire in the sky. You know, if you mm -hmm. kind of squint your eyes, you could maybe say they're monkeying around with grays. But what's the why are we getting all these other aliens when the people clearly demand a gray? I really don't know. I, I think I've thought about this a lot kind of in the build up to the movie because it was written as as grays for sure mm -hmm. and then um when i went to when when 20th got involved there's like not like pushback but there's like a little bit of like is this going to be too familiar um of it being grays and to which my response was why is it familiar beyond it being like an emoji right. i guess um because like you have i think I think I, I've kind of come down to the conclusion that, that it was a couple of things. I think Close Encounters is obviously looms really large, and right. those guys are kind of grays. You know, they're they're little and cute, but there's I think that's definitely like the big archetype. Um, and then X Files used grays, um, and part of me wonders if that just kind of made it feel TV or or something. And then I think there's just the desire to do the, the new cool alien. Right. right. And I think a lot of those, you know, have gotten very like squiddy um, or, uh -huh. or, or really abstract. Like, you know, the, um, the creatures on uh, invasion, like the Apple show are, are really interesting, but they're very uh, abstract and, you know, they're really trying to be different in a way that I think is, is really successful on that, on that show. But I, I think for me, it was just kind of, there's something about, the the blank face and it's like a person that walks into your house and like just the, just the idea of like the standoff between a person and, and a gray i i just think i i i just haven't seen <laughs> like like in in forever and i i love the abduction stuff in fire in the sky and i love the twist that it's the grays is the suit that they wear um right right and i think that's so fun and cool and i was very excited to see our boy on john wilson um, <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> um, Fifteen hundred bucks is all it takes, apparently. Oh man, uh, I'm surprised they left that part in. But um, <laughs> I think because the movie starts, and not to get it too into it, but like it starts, you know, a gray shows up within ten minutes, um, sure. and kind of wanting it to be, especially with the like glimpses and the home invasion -y kind of stuff, not wanting people to go, is it a burglar? Is it a vampire is what is it like, <laughs> right. kind of like like you see a glimpse and you're like i know exactly what the fuck that is and i know what the movie is and then the movie gets to pull the rug out from under you a little bit but also yeah i just like i i, I love the grays and it's like i you know there's a bazillion suave dracula movies and there's just so few and there's like a dozen alien movies a year and i just felt like there was it was usually like zero out of that dozen had a gray and which just felt like a, a missed opportunity and and just kind of selfishly i was just like oh maybe i can you know own a piece of that <laughs> yeah. you have the ability to kind of take it and, and make it work because i think the reason why a lot of people avoid it is it's become kind of tied in with kitsch you know if you go to area 51 it's like yeah 
it's the gray, the the big head with the big black eyes, you know, things everywhere. Yeah. South Park, you know, every time they show a gray alien or, or an alien, it's like that, that kind of thing. I think it's tied in with like comedy, I guess. And, uh, you know, and if you're if you're wanting to make something, I'm thinking of like M. Night Shyamalan or whatever, when he's trying, mm-hmm. he's like I had to you had to redesign it, but also make it kind of fit in the in that zone where it's like, no, this is the real shit, you know, but uh, if you actually embrace it. You know, uh, and I'm saying this from a point of view of having not seen the movie yet. If you actually embrace it, like those, as you were saying, that shit could be really terrifying. There's a reason why all the 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 '90s like X Files, the alien autopsy, you know, kind of stuff yeah. works. It's like it it captures your imagination in a very weird, and very specific way. Yeah, I just I, for me it was just you know it's funny like in the design process too. It was funny how quickly things become Star Trek or Star Wars. Right. Um, you know, I have pretty much one actor in, in the movie with, with Caitlin Deaver and just knowing like, you know, almost the entire movie is going to be her acting opposite these guys. Um, and so like, you're kind of like, okay, well they need a face because when you don't have a face, it just becomes really hard to kind of have any interaction <laughs> going on. And then it just, it just felt like for this movie in particular, it just felt like if it was a little bit of a kitchen sync movie you know if i get to make one alien movie in my life it's like i kind of i just wanted to have grays and flying saucers and you know all, all the all the things that i grew up loving and and then was feeling like i wasn't being served and it's like all i want like if there's a dozen alien movies a year if like six of them were grays i'd be probably disappointed that it wasn't more <laughs> so yeah. um i think for me it was just a matter of like well no one's giving me what i want so i might as well do it myself <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, I named off a bunch of the projects that you've been associated with uh, in your intro. Um, Some of those are production credits. You know, I didn't even name Cocaine Bear, but you were a producer on that. Um, I didn't write that at all, but I produced it. Yeah. Right. Jimmy Warden wrote it. Yeah. Right. Uh, Other ones you you scripted like Jane Got a Gun or or Underwater or Love and Monsters and then Spontaneous you directed. Yeah. And now this, um, I'm doing the fucking Charlie Rose thing, aren't I? We have all these characters. We have all these titles. Um, but you, there is a very particular sensibility to everything that I that that you have touched so far that I that I think is unique to you. And I've I've been oh, trying. Yeah. I've been struggling to um, like put into words what the what the feeling of it is. Part of it feels very influenced by Amblin films. And I think mm-hmm. that comes through particularly strong on on no one will save you. Um, but also okay. love and monsters also spontaneous, you know, I think when I think of classic Amblin movies, I tend to think of those as being of a different, a different time period and they have a different temperament. Whereas yours are very modern, almost, almost slick in, in the dialogue. And I'm curious just what your general ethos is when you set down to, to write a script. What is the tone that you're looking for? And how should I be describing the tone that you are continually hitting? I don't know, man. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I think one of the things I'm proudest of, and maybe you'll disagree, but I think this movie is really different than spontaneous. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, which I think that is where I, I like to live. And I think for me, both of those are meant, both movies that I've directed are, are meant to be, pretty popcorn um and i i think the things that make those movies a little bit more left 
of center are, are probably just that just my weirdo personality um <laughs> and it, i don't think it comes from a desire to be left of center like with, with spontaneous i just fell in love with the book and it just felt like it was a book that i should have written um mm-hmm. and, and that's why i got sent the book uh, i remember the everyone was just like this just feels like you and they were so right i, I love that it was a really poppy john Hughesy kind of thing but with this very um <laughs> violent disgusting thing in the, in the middle of it and then similarly with this I, I think i had always wanted to do an alien movie and um i think just in my head i was like oh i haven't seen this before i i guess like the core conceit of the movie is you know there's a lot of these movies where the aliens are kind of uh bopping around outside of a house and they kind of do that for an hour and a half and then you get like the little show <laughs> right. at the end um and just kind of being like you know if these motherfuckers are are flying all the way here they're probably not just poking around outside you know they're, they're not gonna be ding dong ditching you for yeah, it just felt like you know what happens if you know they they enter the house and um i think probably once I, as soon as i started living in a house and not like in a apartment you know you start getting those you know what was that noise outside terror um <laughs> and then um not to get like too personal but like uh the house that we live in right now, my, my son is the only one of the family whose room is downstairs. And so I feel like I'm always constantly on edge that like the boy is downstairs and all of us are upstairs and what happens <laughs> in that kind of a uh, home invasion uh, <laughs> setting. And so it, it kind of came out of, you know, what happens if they just, you know, walk in, you, you know, you kind of have like the full funny games of it all. Oh, um, no. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's just this extraterrestrial presence and then i just felt like that was a really unusual place to start a movie right and then the challenge uh became well what do you do for the next hour but anyway yeah. really rambly way to answer your question i don't know what my my tone is i i, I hope it's well it's very pleasing that i want to watch i guess <laughs> so, yeah i t- I, t- okay. I talked to you after i saw the movie the other day and i was like you are in a way that a lot of other filmmakers aren't, you are making movies that like, if I had the talent to be doing what you're doing, that's the kind of shit I would be making, you know? (laughs) And I feel like, um, you, you've pulled off, pulled off that, that kind of thing twice where it feels like you're, Speaking directly to me, you can I'm just you're the you only just person text. I make movies for. You should yeah, be my you, you know, we don't have you don't have to spend all this <laughs> money making movies. Like we can just have conversations. So, you know, um, it's not my money. So that's another. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am I'm so happy that somebody just made the goddamn movie I've always wanted to see, which is like, which is exactly what this is. You know, the plot is more. Um, intricate than it initially appears to be you know there are reveals throughout the movie that are very interesting and and kind of unexpected i would say um i'm I'm choosing my words carefully that was just me trying to make my life as miserable as possible well the (laughs) just the central conceit of the film is something i've always wanted to see and it's just a very simple thing and like yeah what does that look like what is how scary would that actually be? And it turns out it's pretty fucking frightening. There are moments in this movie that are among the scariest that I've seen in a in a movie this year. And I just, oh, boy. I just fucking love this thing, man. It was, oh, it was so cool just, to hear that because and we talked a little bit about it, but you know, because you know, a lot of our aliens took a really long time to show up on screen. Yes, um, none of that. Uh, and and so, like when we were showing people the movie, usually there weren't 
aliens in the movie um when we were showing people and then we'd ask like is it scary and people would be like not really and which is obvious because if you, you just have an actor holders, like mean, for the effects i mean sometimes sometimes it was it would literally just be like our dude in like a blue leotard <laughs> like growling um and I it's like, you're like i hope this is working like there's not it's not really shot in a way that you can um it's not it's not like that coverage of a movie so it wasn't a lot of like well we could just edit it scarier it's kind of like well hopefully someday this will be scary and then it like once it got finished and people started seeing it they're like oh it's actually kind of scary uh so I'm, I'm glad that it was it was suitably spooky for Halloween. yes it's a fucking just a little roller coaster of a movie i i loved it i've watched it multiple times since i got the screener which is really not something i do very often so um I recommend that. I, I don't know anyone that's seen it multiple times except for you uh, that hasn't worked on the movie. So that's a, I, and it was definitely made in a way that it's supposed to feel like a different movie the second time. So uh-huh. uh, we'll talk later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it, I, I, I will Eric's say that like it rewards, fucking mind. Yeah, rewards I, repeat. <laughs> I'm, I'm not bored at all. I'm just sitting here going, don't you motherfuckers spoil this for me? I'm no, 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 no. You're, you're hyping me up and now you're going to be like, and then the alien was dead the whole time or something. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh. The, the alien was, the the alien was Bruce Willis the entire time <laughs> is the twist. But Happy. Um, I'm on we'll, vacation. Uh, we'll, we'll move on before we, we say anything, uh, in, anything that goes too far into spoiler territory. And, and we will, you know, come back and, and touch on this as we talk about uh, the Tommyknockers today. I think there's some comparisons to be made. But before we get there, let's uh, let's get your Stephen King origin story. When did Stephen King first pop up on your radar as this sort of force in pop culture? Yeah, I think you were excited that I don't have the typical Stephen King origin story. Um, And it was in the early 90s. Um, Well, I guess the the preface of all this is that my my parents and family are evangelical missionaries. Um, So huge uh, King fans. Very chill. Huge king fans yeah you grew up in a steady diet of erotic thrillers it's just yeah all basic instinct (laughs) Mm -hmm. all Um, flowers in the attic (laughs) no it was and so i grew up really into like you know raiders king the original king kong and jurassic park and then kind of early 90s my family started shifting more conservative and things started getting more you know limited and 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 cut off um, or, or we just lived so remote too that we had like mm-hmm. one TV channel and like no movie theaters, um, even if we were allowed to go. But I remember, you know, kind of around like 93, 94 uh, to like 90, like six or so, I'd say, uh, you know, there was all the uh, there's a lot of not um, quite satanic panic, but a lot of that like fear, like, you know, the harry potter stuff was like such a big like this is introducing your kids to witchcraft and so that was right. like, something that was very much not allowed in in, in my house that i, I snuck in yeah. um, they were censoring music left and right and oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah i yeah. mean it was even just like even you know um christian rock was very debatable like you know if dc talk was you know <laughs> how christian could they be um kind of thing and but i remember very this very vivid memory. And I don't know what my, the, I don't know what sparked this conversation with my, my dad, because I was too young to read Stephen King. Um, so I was probably like eight or nine. Um, and I just remember him telling me that he felt like real evil lived inside Stephen King. 
Um, <laughs> which made me go, I got to check this out. Um, you know, it might <laughs> Yeah, I apologize, I apologize for laughing because once you like actually see the man talk or whatever, you're that's the funniest fucking thing to think that that dude <laughs> could actually be evil. He's just like, hey, oh shucks, I'm I'm a happy guy, that's, and I'm, yeah. That's how the that's how the devil's gonna get you, though, man. Um, well, that's, that's, that's true, uh, I guess. But uh, you know, there was a um a Christian horror author named Frank Peretti. Christian who, horror. Christian horror, yeah. I didn't. Um, I, I did not even know such a thing existed. I, I think he was like really pushed as like Christians, like, and I remember, like a lot of growing up, there would be like Christian bookstores. Like one was called like the Mustard Seed, and uh, <laughs> they would like, have like charts like on the walls that would be uh, like, if you like Nirvana, you'll love Jars of Clay, um, and if you like you know John Grisham, you'll love this christian alternative author and i remember frank peretti was the big stephen king if you know you want to read stephen king but you don't want to sin you could read frank peretti and he had like a uh ya series that legitimately scared the shit out of me um and was i remember like the first book was um i can't remember what the the series was called but the first book was basically like a fam like an indiana jones and his kids like are like in like Iraq and they find like a door to hell um, mm. and was very exciting. Um, and I probably kept seeing the name Stephen King in relation to Frank Peretti. And that was probably why my dad was like, no, there's real evil that lives inside Stephen King. And I think that also kind of closed the door on Frank Peretti um, to <laughs> me. But then I, I was like, I got to read Stephen King. Got to give me some of that evil. I got, yeah, well, it's just, that's the whole, like everything's, that's so stupid about the book banning and everything that's going on. It's just like, like none of these kids want to read Catcher in the Rye. Um, but like, <laughs> as soon as you're like, you know, Catcher in the Rye is going to like ruin your life. Like then they want to read it. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's just so self-defeating. But anyway, I remember being at a library and getting my own library card um, and being like, oh, I could totally you know, sneak some of these books into the house. And so I like, I had like a whole, you know, devised a whole plan of doing it. And then, you know, I think, I feel like the way most kids had like playboys, I had like Harry Potter and Stephen King. And I remember I, I from the library, I got out sphere from Crichton mm -hmm. and, yep. and the Tommy knockers. And that was, that was my first King. Oh, um, <laughs> and I remember thinking, I don't know if there's evil in this, but it, it's pretty fucking bad. Um, <laughs> I was like, maybe I don't like horror or aliens. Uh, and I, I think I was maybe like eight or nine. Um, Jesus. Uh, I don't, as a nine year old, I don't relate to the alcoholism. <laughs> yeah, I just remember being like bored in it for so long and just being like, oh, I don't know. And then I think I tried a couple more King books and kind of felt similarly. Like it was none of the like the classics. And then. My big one was, I, I think when I was around 12, I read The Gunslinger, and that one oh, wow. got me like hook line. Like I was so in. And then I remember not knowing that it was a series and then realizing it was a series and then Drawing of the Three is the next book, right? Yep. Um, uh, and getting that book and like the opening with the lobstrosity and like fighting off, or snapping off Roland's fingers. And I was yeah. like, this is the coolest thing I've ever read. Yes. In my life. And being like, because I was a big Lord of the Rings kid. Um, and even that was like very like sketchy with my folks. Um Don't but, you want some of the some of the nice Jesus Lion books? Yeah, even the like the Narnia books, they didn't, they were like just the concept of magic, mm. like especially in the 90s right. with like the arrival of, of Potter was like such a weird, like 
it's going to encourage kids to get involved in witchcraft kind of thing. Which like, isn't real, a, by the way. It's, it's not. <laughs> but it was it's such like, a pervasive. Like, I remember, like, tell, talking to my parents and being like, I don't think I'm going to get in, accepted into Hogwarts. I'm too stupid, firstly. <laughs> um, but, like, also just being like, that's not, like, like I, that's like, I know... But- but like I knew Jurassic Park wasn't a place that I could go to. Right. It's, like, it's like worrying that showing a kid Back to the Future will get them into time travel. Time yeah, travel it, doesn't exist, and neither weird... does witchcraft. It's bullshit. Yeah, and I, I get. I think totally valid for a parent to tell like a nine year old Stephen King is too adult for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but that was not the context <laughs> that I got. Um, but I, but Guns Gunslinger in the Dark Tower. Seriously, that was when I I got really into king and then that not knowing too for a while that you know because if you don't know the references you don't know that it's references you just think it's like world building mm-hmm. um like the other books and then kind of realize and this was before the internet was really a thing right and so kind of like starting to be like wait is that a character that i read in this other book kind of you know like that like uh spider webbing you do in your brain as yeah. you're reading that series and then that was like, I was like, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> like That was yeah. so exciting. And then it became like, I got to read everything because maybe this, I'll, like, I'll understand things more. And I was like too young, I think, to understand a lot of it. Just, I, I love the rocking nature. I love the characters and the, you know, the monsters and the everything. Um, but that one, that one got me to really go crazy. You know, I work in Hollywood now, so maybe my parents were right. Um, <laughs> this is as close to witchcraft as, <laughs> oh, as you man. can feasibly do. But yeah, like it was, and I remember like every now and again, like I would get caught, um, and it would be, you know, not like super dramatic, but it would be like that, like disappointed kind of thing. You know, I never had the like, I'm, I'm playing with fire here, reading, like you know, it's like right. as soon as you kind of, I don't, I feel like that's a lot of, not to get like again super personal, like a lot of like the Christian culture is, is very fear based and yeah. then once you kind of meet a gay person or or Man. you read a Stephen King book you're like these are pretty normal you know <laughs> yeah. it's like all, all of the weird conservative fear is 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 so unfounded yeah so inadvertently the 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 you know the 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 danger of Stephen King really got me <laughs> into Stephen King but then I, st- I stuck with Stephen King just because I, I really I loved his writing. Not that I was like, oh, I'm being such a bad boy. You know, I think it started off me. My rebellious punk streak was reading Stephen King, the most famous author alive. Um, <laughs> well, I, 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 yeah. I, I can, I can thank that uh, your, your parents like putting that into your head, because I don't know any other possible scenario in which you start with Tommy knockers and still can continue to read. I read that in sphere back to back. And I was like, so excited that it was like alien books. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I uh, love fear. Yeah. I, I think I would have loved it later. I, yeah. I just remember being like, it's going to be like Jurassic Park with aliens. Because ah. again, I was like eight or nine. You wanted your um, grades, and that that's not the... Yeah, and just being like, this thing's just, you know, eye-chatting, basically. Frank has the <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and like the, the, the back-to-back of those, I was just like, maybe I just don't like this. Like, I don't know. Like, this, <laughs> it's such a bummer. I'll just stick with Frank Peretti. Um <laughs> But, but, um, cause even, I think like in the nineties, like YA was such, was 
not like the thing it is now. Like I don't remember like really there being like that subgenre that was so big of like I'm sure it was, but I just remember it being very normal for like eight year olds to take Michael Crichton books out of the library. Yeah. Yeah, um yeah. as you opposed to like this is the ya section like i don't remember right. that i remember like little kids and then yeah it was um, like goosebumps and then everything else right yeah for, yeah for yeah stuff. exactly yeah. and i i really i like our our school had some goosebumps books that I, I i devoured but yeah i think i was like too young to really get into it and then gunslinger i think a it's because it was short um and i appreciated that but then the the gunslinger back to back with the opening of drawing of the three that was i remember reading that opening and being like oh i am all in and and being so just ravenous with reading those and then i can't remember when like the last couple of books came out but it was i remember waiting for those and that was really exciting Um, what do you think about flanagan doing the dark tower as a series i think it's dope Yeah. (laughs) yeah i don't it's like one of those things like i've been i never like asked to do the dark tower but there was like a moment where it was like a little flirty and this was obviously way before flanagan and i was just like Mm -hmm. i just don't like that's such a life commitment Mm -hmm. Um, yeah mike's gonna be busy forever yeah (laughs) mike is never sleeping again yeah and then like also like i just feel like he's the guy to do it because it's like you know none of the dark tower stuff that's come out has been what I think they should have done or, or even not come out, I guess. Um, right. I agree. Like, oh, and I think that even, I, I think that even goes for the comics, which I couldn't really get into. Yeah. Like, it was always just kind of like, and again, I think because gunslinger was the thing I fell in love with and like, you know, being like a Hollywood shit. Now I understand like the difficulties of starting with the gunslinger to some extent, but I'm also like, I fell in love like it's all it always felt like they were trying to like start with the two towers. This is what hooked me in was the opening. And then I felt like everyone was so like embarrassed of how it op- like I don't know like I was just like just give me this. Well, um, it's the the thing is the studios want the they want the IP. And I hate to use that term, but it's like here's a you know, why wouldn't you want to get your hands on like this seven novel series by Stephen King that people apparently lose their fucking minds for. Like, why wouldn't we want to make this? Let's make yeah. this. And then they start bringing people in. They're like, how would you do it? And they're like, well, as you know, the first book in this series is a metaphysical Western. And uh, and they're like, wait, wait, what? Like, uh, <laughs> we, we need to probably move ahead a little bit on that. I don't know if we can trust the audience. It does me so insane. It's just I, not I, trusting I, I the think, audience is my point. Yeah, and I feel like growing up, and you'll you'll know better than me. I feel like I have like a distinct memory of Ron Howard was going to do it, mm-hmm. and it was Vigo, right? Like Vigo was like the name of floating around. Then it was like Bardem. That was the, that was the fan casting. At, yeah, I Bardem, I remember. Bardem, I remember. Bardem, I think actually was going to do it. I think there was Russell Crowe was involved at some point, yeah, as well. But that that would have been like uh, I, I think we're talking about late two thousands in, in this era. This is like when Lindelof was still involved. That version of it, I yeah. And I just no, no, this is right after because when Lindelof was doing it, it was J.J. Abrams was was going to direct, and then he then they they both left, and then uh, oh, Ron really? Howard. I, yeah, I thought he was still a part of it when Ron How- Howard was fucking with it. No, no, I think he he left with with J.J. Yeah. 
it feels just, like it, at the height of Lost or whatever is when they were. You know, I mean, Mike like eats, breathes, sleeps this yeah. shit. If anyone's gonna do it right, it's gonna be him. Um, and I, I think that, have the op- that was always the thing that drove me insane too. Is that it's like the most one of the most iconic openings ever. Sure. And then it was just, it felt like every every adaptation was just like, let's just not do it. Like it's boring to have like a like a uh, like a Lawrence of Arabia style chase. Um, <laughs> and, and like for me, that was always like the most exciting. Like it was just like there's like a mile or two in between these guys, and like just that opening was so cool and exciting. And then it was just like every time they would do away with it, I would just be like, what what, what are we doing? Like I don't yeah. understand. Is there Again, for me, it was just like, it's like if you cut off Fellowship of the Ring or you were like, let's just start the movie in Narnia and like not have any of the wardrobe. <laughs> like, you're, I, right. you're, I just kind of, I'm like, I don't understand. But, like, yeah. I, I just am instantly lost as a, as a fan. Um, and I assume then, well, I mean, I think everyone was lost on, on the adaptations too. And it just, <laughs> I don't know. But I get, I think Flanagan's the shit. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. so excited for his show that's coming out. Um, in a few weeks and you know oh, uh, Usher. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and all of his king stuff is is really cool and interesting yeah. and i think it really engages with king i think the fact that he's done so much king you can kind of really see how he's engaging with the text like overall which is something that i think is really cool mm-hmm. and exciting and honestly I, I think dr sleep you know for me like i don't know if any of the rebecca ferguson stuff in the book works and i think it's yeah so cool in the movie yes. <laughs> like it really is my favorite stuff in the movie is all of the um is it rose the hat yeah rose the hat and the, the true yeah, knot yeah. all of that stuff i think it just kills in the movie and i remember reading the book and being like this is what is happening you and, and wobbler like, same once again well yeah just, just, just like i'm like oh yeah give give you know if anyone can figure out how to put Stephen King in these movies and shows or whatever hybrid he's gonna wind up doing you know uh because it's it's not an easy adaptation like once you start getting into the the back half yeah um but i if anyone can do it i i think it's probably him we've talked enough about everything other than uh (laughs) the the title that we've come here to talk about today which may be indicative of our reluctance to actually (laughs) sit and look it straight in the eye i think it's fair to say it's not a widely loved king novel king himself not much of a fan of it uh, and also the source material for a miniseries that aired on ABC back in the early 90s during the heyday of of these primetime Stephen King adaptations. For anyone who's listening who is not familiar with the Tommyknockers, Brian, would you be willing to lay out the just a very basic, you know, not beat for beat plot description of, of, of this thing? Like, what is the Tommyknockers about? I guess like the 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 easiest airport pitch is uh, a small neighborhood or small town comes into contact with a long buried alien ship and Mm -hmm. it starts to uh, transform the townspeople in surprising ways that's Um, it we can go home now right yeah we're we're all good we can wrap up townspeople and uh, (laughs) and dolls in the town I, I think I will kick this conversation off with a question that we have asked um, a number of guests before, and I'm curious to hear your take. Stephen King has 
gone into the realm of extraterrestrial horror. Um, not, not, not a lot of times, but, um, a few, uh, very attention getting times like Tommy knockers or dream catcher or under the dome, which is, I guess, ultimately a spoiler for under the dome, but you've had years to read that. If you're listening to this, we are of the opinion that these attempts, uh, at extraterrestrial horror have not been as, as perhaps successful as some of his other horror writing. And so the question I have for you is, do you agree that Stephen King is perhaps not all that great with extraterrestrial horror? And if so, why do you think that is? It is kind of extraterrestrial horror if you really break it down too, I right? I suppose that's true, but I mean... And I remember like, yeah, it just sometimes it feels like, I think in the case of It and some of the others, like it, 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 it feels like he didn't know where else to go. Sure. It feels like a little like I don't think slapped on is the right phrase exactly, but it just kind you're just kind of like okay, like like you know I I think it's kind of a bummer that when it happens in it where you're just like oh it's the meteor or whatever. Um, it's been a long time since I've read that, so I'm probably butchering that. No, you get you got um, it right. right. Pen, Pennywise yeah. is like this thing on a on a yeah, like it just rock like, that hit the earth. That um. And I think the stuff that really gets under your skin with King doesn't have like that cheat code element right. in it. Like or it has like that. I don't know. There's something about the alien stuff in a lot of the King stuff that feels just like a little bit like a cop out. I think Tommy knockers is not the case because I think that's pretty clear from the get go that it, that's the intention that it's extraterrestrial in nature. So it doesn't have like that kind of like late under the dome style reveal. Um, even though, Again, like it feels like Under the Dome couldn't be explained by like, oh, Russia dropped a dome on us. You know, <laughs> right. But it just feels like there's something about the extraterrestrial thing that just doesn't land or and it, it doesn't make it scarier or worse. You know, it's like when the reveal hits in it or in Under the Dome, like it doesn't suddenly make you go. It's not like revival where like once you start getting to those reveals, you're like my life is ruined because this is so scary and so <laughs> mm-hmm. terrible. Um, like you're just kind of like, Oh, okay. Like it, there's like a, a, like a kind of a shrug factor to it. I, just, um, I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know what it is. I think, you know, we've, I've heard a number of different theories about this. I don't know. I, I guess, it, you know, if you asked me yesterday, I might've had a different opinion, but in the context of this conversation and thinking about it, I think that maybe it's that, you know, he's so brilliant when it comes to putting you in the shoes of an everyman character who encounters, mm. you know, say a ghost or, mm-hmm. you know, an evil spirit or something like that. And or somehow that sort of yeah. shit is not a bridge too far, whereas an alien presence is so fantastical. I, I think it unmoors the humanism from the writing itself. And so a lot of it comes across as cold. I think of Tommyknockers as a cold novel or Dreamcatcher or not so much Under the Dome, which runs pretty hot and heavy. You know, that's almost like, you know, uh, uh, the stand style story or something like that. Yeah. But um, right. there's something cold about alien life. And I think that that trips him up when his his superpower is bringing out the warmth of humanity and how that reacts to these things. That's the best the best explanation I can think of. And it's not a very good one. It's a yeah. Pretty, yeah. pretty astute one. Um, I, I just want to want to add that. I think that like if Stephen King 
when he's not in the grips of of the addiction, you know, which is the Tommy Knockers and him writing this is is uh, you know it, he was in a really bad spot in that yeah. in that time, and uh, you know because I feel like this setup is kind of perfect for Stephen Kingy because it's it yeah. takes a little bit of that that Salem's lot, you know, mm-hmm. um, what he would do with needful things a little bit later where it's like, what happens to this town as the thing, you know, and say in needful things, it's, it's, uh, what happens if the devil comes into the town and starts, you know, stirring shit, what happens in Salem's lot? What if vampires come in town, start stirring the shit. And you realize, you know, that it, they're just taking advantage of the rot that's already there. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of this, the ship of being uncovered and, and the you know the townsfolk slowly turning into or changing into something else and tapping into these kind of psychic uh, you know abilities and creating these bizarre inventions and stuff like that feels mm-hmm. very specifically like was it the picture of Jesus or whatever like you know in in Tommy Knockers reminds me a lot of the the Elvis sunglasses or or whatnot you know it's like yeah uh, you know from from Needful Things it's like there's it feels right in there but I, the problem is and I think something you hit on it is that you don't have a, a Pangborn in the in the lead here you know you have this kind of shitty drunk novelist asshole and you and then you have Bobby who you know, who is just kind of a wet noodle of a, of a character, you know, yeah. it's like, she, it, it's specifically the miniseries. Well, the miniseries is, is, is it takes, it takes all the faults from the characters in the book and amplifies them, you know, and, and poor, poor Jimmy Smith, he tries his, his hardest, but man, you can't, uh, you can't, you can't fix, uh, fix that character the, the way they were trying to do it, but there's just yeah. nobody to hang on to. And I think that's where you're getting that coldness from. It's not so much the premise or even the execution of the supernatural side of it is it's, it, it, this book falls into the same problems I have with from a Buick eight, which you could also argue is, a, is another alien esque thing. Mm-hmm. It's an alternate dim- dimension, but, uh, but it's the same problem. There is like the, the people, the strength of Stephen King is always in his people and how he writes his people. And, and, you know, the reason I love it, you know, as much as the horror shit is genuinely terrifying, it's because I love the losers club kids. Like, yeah, and I, sure. I want to be part part of that club. And I feel like I'm on their adventure with them. You know, the reason why I'm scared for Danny and, and, and Jack and, and Wendy and, and, uh, totally. and the shining is cause I love the, those people as characters and I buy them as characters and I just don't buy Bobby and, uh, guard, you know, I don't buy their relationship. I don't, you know, I, I don't buy them as, as the default leads. And so I think that's why they, they, uh, you're feeling that coldness is, is because if, I I I kind of wish if like if I can know that Stephen King had an unlimited amount of uh, books that he can give us, I would love for him to, you know, give Stephen King immortality and then tell him if you know he has a year to retool the Tommyknockers. And I bet you like say Stephen King now or Stephen King around revival or you know Joyland era yeah. Stephen, you know the current run of Stephen King, he did did a, 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 a called a mulligan on Tommyknockers and. Uh, if he did that, I, I guarantee you would be a, a much better read. Yeah. I saw on Wikipedia, he talked about wanting to cut like a couple hundred pages. Yeah. Um, I remember thinking about it when I was it's watching 600 fucking pages long. It's long as hell. It's so long. Uh, and I remember watching the miniseries and being like, there's so much of this I could cut. Uh, like just like, and I'm not like, I think I'm not like a big, like, Oh, why doesn't the movie focus on these characters instead of the leads? But like, 
watching it too, I was like the kid who does the, and I haven't read the book since I was eight or whatever. So I'm totally forgetful of what happens in the book versus the miniseries, which I hadn't seen until Wampler made me watch it. Um, (laughs) uh, But like the kid who does the um, magic trick and makes his brother disappear. Yeah. David Brown. Yeah. And and granddad's all uh, um, upset and, you know, trying to find this kid. For me, I was like, that is the Stephen King family. Yeah. Uh, like, I like I was like, if that was the opening, like, I know they've been trying to, like, get it off the ground forever. And I, I think Slater was writing it for a while. And he's a fucking yeah. excellent writer. So I bet he could crack it. Um, but I, I was remember, like, I'm, I'm, I'm good friends with Slater. I play video games with him almost every night. And he... Oh, nice. And I remember when when uh, that happened, and I was just like, "Are you fucking crazy, Tommy Knockers? Like, of all the Stephen King stuff, that's the one you're gonna try to do?" And he was just like, "It came up." He's like, "I have an angle on it. We'll see if it works." And uh, you know, that was years and years ago. Because I, I, I think, so, yeah. I yeah, it's like one of those things. Like, I feel like everyone had the book growing up. Like, I, I just remember the prevalence of Tommy Knockers was like at every bookstore and everything. And I think it, I just remember hating it. And it feels like now I don't know anyone. That likes it so it feels like it's a it's a fairly blank canvas right I just remember that idea of like oh this magic trick goes wrong and then you are in like and then the the son also goes into the hospital like all these things i was like this is really there's kind of like a killing of a sacred deer um <laughs> vibe to that where i was like that yeah. would be really traumatizing and strange and upsetting for me a lot of the the guard and bobby stuff firstly they don't have like a scene together until like halfway in and so when they finally <laughs> right. reunite or whatever i was like are they buddies like it was so hard to kind of like and then it was like oh they're married or they're not married um like they used to I be together they kind of have a drunk sex scene and yeah just didn't understand their relationship to begin right. with um and then yeah and then i think what you're saying about like the uh the the, the coldness too it's um you know, I think like like in Salem's Lot with vampires or something like there's something that's so like against your will about that. And then I think so much of this, it's not clear how much it's people being manipulated versus that they want it. And I think both angles are really great, but mm-hmm. like it, because it doesn't pick a side, it gets really confusing. Right. Um, like like with Bobby, like doing the invention. And like, like or everyone is kind of like doing these inventions. Like there's something really exciting about that. And it, there's something exciting about that. Like they just keep needing that hit. It's, it's never quite clear. And also they like kind of instantly start looking like shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. That it's kind of like, okay, so the aliens are draining them, but they're also letting them build these cool, you know, murder lipsticks. Um, <laughs> and really crazy, elaborate uh, mail sorting machines and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, and then there's right. like, even stuff like you know, uh, like uh, Bobby makes the the oh, I can't remember what the name she gives it is, but she like oh, writes a novel in her typewriter that writes for and her. And Jimmy yeah. Smith is just like it's the best book you've ever written, <laughs> as if it's like a, <laughs> a normal thing that could happen. Um, and like even that was like confusing where there's just like a whole, I don't know, like if my wife made a machine that made her write a book in her sleep, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be stoked if it was good. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's AI now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. But it was just like, right. it's like, yeah. I'd be like so freaked out and instead they're just kind of like, this is really cool. 
I mean, yeah, there's I mean, some fertile, there's some fertile <laughs> right. I was going to say there's some fertile ground in there. And it's also, once again, that plays into some of, or it should anyway, play into some of Stephen King's strengths. And that's his horror is so much based in that person you loved, that thing that you loved is changing and you can't do anything about it. It's right. the yeah. Jack corrupted thing. Right. It, and, you know, and he plays with that horror a lot. You know, I keep name checking like Salem's lot, you know, but it's, you know, but it, it's something like that. It's like, you know, he'll he'll turn people into vampires that you shouldn't in typically in typical stories wouldn't be turned into vampires. If it's yeah. like, like kids or or the love interest or whatever. And it's, you know, but that's that's, you know, what's scary is this person you loved is is changed and different. So that should be fertile ground for this thing, which is all about changing everything you know, everybody uh, kind of gets addicted to this, you know, the, these little powers and they're slowly being turned into something else as mm-hmm. they're engaging with it. And that should be horrifying. But I think it, it all boils down to the the the, the guard and Bobby thing for me, because if we had seen any sort of glimpse of their relationship or believed them in any sort of way, you know, they don't have to be a perfectly happy married couple. They could be divorced and at each other's throat, but there's love there, you know, in, in the, in the margins and you can feel their history, you know, or something. You just have to care whenever Bobby starts turning and guard isn't. And of course, by the way, this is a good way to remind everybody that guard does not uh, turn because he's got like a steel plate in his head and they can't <laughs> psychically, Yeah, uh, you know. And I uh, think that too yeah. drew me insane. And it, well, yeah. firstly, it's like, I think it's really interesting. And that's the best <laughs> word for it. It's it like, you know, King's like on a huge Coke bender when he writes this and then writes this addict character as as the lead like i think there's something interesting in that and there's definitely like an early 90s society you know i think has come a long way in terms of how we treat people with addiction because in in the uh miniseries people are just like openly hostile to jimmy smith for being an alcoholic like they're just like making fun of him which causes him to to drink in a way that felt like the the woman at the the reading just like is just shitting on him for being a drunk even though he's been on the wagon for like a year or something he says, and then he instantly falls off the wagon um, and starts pouring drinks down her shirt. And then he talks a lot about how he's got had writer's block and has never been able to write and keeps writing his old stuff. And then the whole time it just made me insane that Bobby is the one making the machine that helps her write. Um, Right. (laughs) And then, and then this guy has this addiction and he's off the wagon. He's telling some people and he's not telling other people and I was like, this is clearly like, like, I don't know if Bobby should be the alcoholic or guard should be the one that the, the plane has had makes him connect with the Tommy knockers. But I was right. like, if that character who is an addict starts all of a sudden writing again and is like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm finally writing again. And everyone's like, holy shit, this is really good. And he starts looking like shit. And everyone's like, oh, I bet he's falling off the wagon, but he's writing again and it's really good. And then you start going like, oh, there's this other He's found this thing in the woods. Right. And it's, I feel like guard just kept talking about how he wasn't able to write. And then his girlfriend just makes him like never. I didn't even know she was a writer until she built a machine <laughs> that helped her write books. Yep. Um, and then, and then he's just like completely like, I, I don't need him to be a whiny bitch about that, about it, but he's just kind of like, that's great, honey. Uh-huh. And meanwhile, like he's like struggling with alcoholism because he can't write uh, and I just felt like there was like, I just wanted to like make a bunch of these characters one person. 
Or, or they were just like characters that I was like, it already feels like they got possessed by aliens like well before the yeah. aliens showed up. Yeah. Like the, the, the Tracy, uh, the, the post oh, the office. Lords. She, yeah. Like the horniest people that's ever lived in a movie. Or, <laughs> um, yeah. but then, and in then terms, there's yeah, in terms of horny post office employees, it's Tracy Lords and Tommy Knockers, followed by Cliff Clavin from Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the mid-roll ad read section of the show. Today we are here to talk about some good eats. We got some good food to tell you about, thanks to our sponsor, Factor. So Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. You've heard of these meal kit services. We've had some that have sponsored the show. Uh, they're great that they serve. They send you like the ingredients, and then you get to cook them up yourself. That's great, but sometimes you just want something a little bit quicker, but also high quality, and that's where Factor comes in. They send what kind of look like on the surface. They look like TV dinners, and you're like, oh, how good can these be? They are delicious. They've actually sent both Scott and I some, some of these, and like I was a little dubious at first because you know i was a kid of the 80s i grew up on tv dinners they're trash i knew it at the time i know it now and i cooked some of these up and i'll be damned if it wasn't like i'd made them fresh to order i had this delicious chicken pesto dish where the chicken was actually moist and delicious and that doesn't happen when you microwave your dinner. So I want to give them all the props. They're delicious and they're ready to heat and eat. So if you have a crazy hectic life or you're just lazy like I am and you don't want to make multiple trips to the grocery store, then try out Factor and you'll get a week's worth of delicious high quality meals that will be ready to eat after just a few minutes in the microwave. And they're healthy too, even though they don't taste like it, thank God, or else I wouldn't be so excited to tell you about this. Uh, You choose the kind of foods you want to eat, whether it's high protein, low calorie, Uh, or just whatever tastes the best, and then their staff will tailor your meals directly for you. Head on over to factormeals.com slash kingcast50. That's five zero. Why 50? Because you get a whopping 50% off of your order when you use the code kingcast50 at checkout. That's code kingcast50 at factormeals.com slash kingcast50, and you will get 50% off your order. It's 50% off, people. If you're not taking them up on that deal, we don't know what to tell you. And we have no help to provide, but we can take it back to the show. Let's do it, Eric. Let's go. I mean, I could talk about things that don't make sense for a long time, but uh, I thought like the most effective scene in it was when uh, a police officer who I believe has a office in the police station that she stores all of her dolls in uh which is a normal thing all the dolls come come to life and i think murder her or abduct her yeah vespi is that in the book uh i believe so but uh i was not about to reread this again i I, because because... i I had no idea i was like sweet the aliens can control dolls too because then that feels like if they can control anything inanimate but it, it yeah. feels like why is jimmy smith's able to drive around the like it feels like there's a lot of ways that you don't need zombie people to like chase you with lipstick guns right. um right the thing uh, that i remember yeah. i remember the most as being different is that you know for the miniseries they decided they actually needed to have uh aliens in it and, and in the you know <laughs> we need a finale we need to actually bring aliens in and in the in the the book they're all like corpses they're just skeletons and right. you kind of realize it's not tommy knockers aren't like aliens you know manipulating through telekinesis so much as they're like alien ghosts that are possessing the town you know 
This is one of the the more interesting aspects of the novel to me. This is extraterrestrial horror, but the the horror has more to do with this this imparted knowledge and what it does to the human mind versus, you know, a human getting into like a fistfight with an alien. You know, the the actual number of aliens you encounter in the Tommyknockers is very slim, if not none, if they are, in fact, ghosts, like you're saying. Right. And something I wanted to ask you, Brian, um, and particularly in relation to no one will save you is oh, no. <laughs> if like if you encountered an alien, an alien, like an alien life form, you know, a humanoid alien, don't you feel like. Don't you feel like just laying your eyes on that would fucking break your mind a little bit? Like, do you? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think that's what is so fun and exciting about aliens. Maybe we talked about it, Scott. I can't remember who I talked, but like when all the hearings were going on, um, you know, talking a lot about like, you know, if the government was hiding these dudes from us and everything, it's like, the second there's like a first contact that's public, just the, the sight of it throws all religion in the world into chaos. Like it just, it, it completely changes the world in a way like nothing else that's ever happened would change the world. And I think that, oh, maybe we were talking about it with fire in the sky and that dude, it's like, um, Travis. Duck- yeah. It's like, like if that happened to me, I would not write a book about it. I would live. I would be like every day of my life would be like the end of revival. Um, I don't know. I don't think what, I could shut the fuck up because I want people to believe me. And I that wouldn't be the thing that would scare me. The scaring me part would be that they come back and they're like, oh, you couldn't keep your fucking mouth shut. Like I would be, that would be my terror is like, I got away from the abduction room and I like, I, I would just feel like, oh, if I'm publishing books and doing speaking tours, they're going to show up again and be like, you blew it. We let you go. Well, if you you're Whitley Schreiber, they did do that. You know, if, <laughs> if we're, if we're to believe uh whitley which i'm not i don't know i just i hadn't i hadn't read communion until very recently and i listened to it on the drive back from idaho to austin and uh i gotta tell you uh i have notes uh i'm not sure i'm not sure i'm buying uh that movie is uh is a trip too oh it Um, is that yeah that's it's it's definitely worth it it's a great cocaine movie It, Um, it surely is um, uh, and there's, there's a shot. I don't know if you got the shot, but there's definitely a shot in my movie that I kept being like, I have to get the communion shot. And people is would be it, like, is it over? over it, does it involve a refrigerator door? No. Okay. I thought, uh, it, it, I, 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 cause it depends on what we're talking about. Door, the communion shot. Are we talking about the yeah, grave it's a, poking its, it's head a, out? Yeah. It's, it's a peeking through the door kind of thing, but it's not the refrigerator, but, um, and then no one knew what communion was. And so I, I showed a bunch of the crew communion and they were like, why the fuck did you show us this? It's um, bananas. There's a scene in that movie so where great. it's like maybe a 90 second scene, but it's like, you know, Chris Walken as Whitley Stryber, like in his office and he's writing his new book, but he suddenly just starts trying on different hats. Yeah. And he's like, every time he puts on a new hat, he's like, Hey, or ho, or something along those lines, and you're like, "What the fuck is happening here?" And then it just goes <laughs> on to the next scene, no further context. Yeah, it's like the opposite of walking in the dead zone for me, where it's like I, I don't think there's a version of communion that ever works. Um, yeah, I agree. But walking, in particular, in communion, is just such like brain melting casting because um, he just seems so like 
Um, it's like why I would have thought he would have been bad in the dead zone, but I think it's his, maybe like his best performance. Like I think he's mm-hmm. perfect in the dead zone and him in communion. You're just like, it, it just makes it like an SNL sketch sometimes in, intentionally, which uh-huh. I think is, is like when they're all dancing. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty yeah, what great. What the fuck is that? Like, but the, you're also none of that shit is in the book, by the way. Like the, oh, the, movie... like the balloon. I love like there's like balloon aliens that are just kind of like floating around on strings, and you're just yeah, like the, this bo- is- the movie is. I, I was stunned when I, you know, listening to the book, like how far off it is, how far off the movie is from what was written, and I'm like, what the? F-? I like if I was Whitley Schreiber and this shit actually happened to me, I'd be like, I'd be furious about this movie. And I guess he's not a fan of it uh, for that reason. And a few other ones um, didn't feel like walking really, uh, you know, captured his essence, I guess, but like, <laughs> it's, it's just really strange how little in common the movie has with, you know, the reality quote unquote of what, what Stryber wrote about, but and speaking th- of cocaine. Yes. <laughs> um, I that was another thing like I feel like I would have liked and again I know it's on ABC but I was like the most interesting thing about it is what Stephen King was going through at the time when he wrote it I, I think there's something interesting about the people that are possessed by the Tommy knockers having a lot of kind of drug symptoms where it's like they get these big highs and then their bodies are falling apart mm-hmm. as on, and they keep needing to get this high and then you have the Jimmy Smith character who's like a drunk like there's like almost like a really powerful cry for help kind of thing in there in terms of like what drugs are doing to Stephen King and that he's writing sure. like a million books a year, but it's destroying him and his marriage and his family and all these different things. And it just doesn't come together, which is like such a frustrating part too, where you can kind of see, like, I, I don't know if there's like, well, a, like maybe this I'll, wasn't I'll the way to exercise Slater. those. I don't crack it. <laughs> like if anyone can crack it, Slater could. But I'm also like, I don't know if this is worth cracking. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting take uh, on, you know, in an alien invasion story, like a not not so much a physical invasion as a as a mental one. And, you know, that it mirrors a conversation that's to be had about addiction and, and what it does to you. I, I find all of that like on paper. This is all very interesting. It's just the execution yeah. of it. That's. Like, I love that Bobby keeps wanting to have sex with him. Like, there's, like, an interesting humanity there. Like, she kind of knows her body is falling apart, but really wants to be desired. Everyone else is pretty evil once they get Tommyknocker possessed, except for Bobby, which I thought was interesting. And Bobby, despite her transformation, still has a lot of affection and love and desire for, for guard. There's something so close to being interesting there, like, in terms of, like, that awful thing like transformation of uh this character that knows their body's falling apart and that is so rejuvenated by the possession but is also so kind of scared and insecure that their partner might not want them anymore i was like there's like you could tell how like someone like slater could really crush that um right uh and make it really emotional and and, and powerful it's so close to feeling like uh, like an addict in the midst of addiction, like mm-hmm. really kind of reaching out. And then the addiction is also just making such a mess of everything. Um, That's very right. true. You know, yeah. it's kind addicts, of a- especially addicts that are, you know, and I speak from experience here, like if you're detoxing or you're, you know, taken away from your uh, vice of choice, you get very horny. 
It's like your body starts waking up again and it's like remembers that fucking, you know, like, oh, shit. Like there are other um, sensations I can have beyond feeling like high or drunk or whatever, you know, and, you know, I, that that does strike me as a kind of a realistic note in all this, even though it's like yeah. you know, her her body is falling apart. It, you know, let's but she's but, become you know, transparent. Same thing yeah, is going I, through I fucking just, detox, you know? Yeah. And there's something about like if that person was. Like if you're spouse was getting everything they ever wanted and then their body was falling apart and then they're so insecure that they're like so happy and high but that their partner is so scared of them like there's something really you know uh like brundlefly kind of about uh-huh. that um like there's something like you can see how there's a version of that that would work there's this thing in the backyard that's ruining your mind but it's giving you the you know it's solving your writer's block but your body has changed. Like there's like, you could see, you know, the, I mean, the fly is the, the comp, I guess, but like you could see how it could almost be the fly and it could be really powerful and emotional. And instead it's the Tommy knockers. <laughs> right. As you're pointing out here, there's a lot of really great elements to this. I mean, we talked a little mm-hmm. bit about, they don't really do it the same way in the miniseries, but in the novella, whenever the brother t- transports his brother to Altair four, you know, I in the miniseries, I think he like, he like, he teleports the brother to the spaceship or some shit. I, I, I don't know. It was weird, but, um, but in, in the series it's crazy. Cause he like sticks his head under the table and can see his brother, like slowly suffocating, you know, on, in this alternate planet. And like, how do I, how do we save him? You know, that kind of thing. There's all these really great elements that are out there that are funky. And I, you know, I think that, that King himself has said that he thinks that this is, there's a good book in there. Like his solution of just cutting a couple hundred pages, ain't it? But uh, that would definitely help. Um, but there's, there is, there's a lot of really you good cut stuff a couple in there. Hundred minutes out of the mini series. Sure, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the mini series cut... is like a 70 minute at best kind of thing. And I was going to say, we need to cut more, more minutes out of that mini series. And there are mini series minutes in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, but... Watching it. I was like, I wish like if, if I was the guy's, paying for this movie i would be i was like osgood perkins or like someone that could just oh, really yeah. get under your skin with it like i you could you can see how it could be really interesting and surreal and strange uh but you can also just see the all the inherent cocaine problems i don't right. know this is this is one of those properties that like you know i've talked i'll be so impressed i've <laughs> talked it i've talked at length on the show before about how I feel like someone really needs to adapt needful things as the like dark comedy that's it, that it's intended to be. And I feel it's Tommy knockers is on shakier foundational ground, I think, but with a gun to my head and sat down at a computer and it was like, you're going to write a screenplay for a Tommy knockers adaptation. That's exactly what it would be. It would be a dark comedy. It wouldn't. It, oh, funny. It, and it would, you know, it would be playing a lot of this shit for laughs that that I think is the way into this is like, you know, make it not wacky, but darkly funny. I just think that needful things. I have a very clear vision in my mind for how you accomplish that. I'm not I'm not entirely sure how you do that with Tommy knockers, but I tend to think of them in the same way like That's that. Funny. You know, I never th- watching the miniseries, I was never like this should be funnier. No, it shouldn't, but it shouldn't be like that. I don't know what you mean, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's I I don't think a straight up adaptation is going to work. I think you got to do something a little different with it. 
if King himself will tell you that the book doesn't work, that's an indication that you shouldn't just fucking do the app, the book straight up. Like, right, so what are right. you going to do with it? You know, and there's all kinds of different things you could do with it, but that would be my approach. And I think that would work. Right. I, I kind of like, you know, what Brian was saying earlier, like maybe you focus on the family where the brother disappears and it becomes, you know what I mean? I, I, but all this is, it's really just me trying to find a way to get Bobby and guard the fuck out of this story. It's like, I don't, I don't care about those two well, at all. And it's like, it's like maybe you hyper focus on some other person. Is this, this happening, you know, as all this stuff is well, going Well, let's out. crack this fucker because I feel like <laughs> if, I feel like if um, you focus on any one storyline here, I think that's a problem. I think it should be more of like Salem's Lot, where you're getting an overview of the entire town. And there's things like think. God damn it. I mean, you know, this is going to sound insane, but think of the interlocking plots of Magnolia. Okay. And and think of that general tone only like ramp up the sort of sci-fi weirdness of it. That's where my head would be at. Like, Do you I, think, I, think keep... I, I love the David Brown is on Altair four thing. That's like while I don't like this book and I don't like the miniseries, that little vignette is one of my favorite things in all of all of King's work. It's just so baffling and and alien and weird and like you know, it sets your it sets your imagination on fire. Like, where is this place? Can you know, is is this kid breathing? Is, is does anyone else get sent there? Is it possible if he had done the trick slightly different, would he have ended up on a different plane of existence? It just blows up my brain to think about that. I love thinking about that shit. Um, yeah. But I but I think zeroing in on any um, any one character or any one storyline would not work, it, you know, or at least in the version that I would want to see. I, I want to see an entire town taken over by this, you know, for lack of a better term, woke mind virus. And, you know, <laughs> sort of what do they do with that? And how does it lead to the destruction of the town? And I would change the ending, too. I would I would I would have the town ultimately rub themselves out or snuff mm. themselves out, I should say, by. Yeah, yeah. Change, yeah. change the wording slightly on that one. Please. Yeah. Uh, or not. <laughs> the whole town is going to jerk off to death. But I think that's what you yeah. do. You, there's never an alien in it. There's not an alien ghost. It's just a ship. And somehow it it infects the entire town and they all become brilliant. They all can do anything they want. But it turns out that having ultimate knowledge and that ultimate power that comes with it is a destructive force. And it wipes them all out. That's yeah. that's I what about I would this do. a lot, too, because I know, Wampler, you're a big War of the Worlds guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there, I mean, there's the. Do you think so when the lightning hits in War of the Worlds, do you think it's the aliens entering the tripods? or Do you think it's the full tripods that just manifest underground i mean according to the movie i think they're riding the lightning down into them yeah i think so too and so there's a part of me that was like okay that's interesting that you know it's like oh if bobby you know stumbles across a buried tripod that idea in and of itself if like a small town just started digging up a fucking tripod I was like, I'm into that. Like, that's yeah. something that's so weird. And so, like, in the mm -hmm. miniseries, it's just, like, cement blocks. It's terrible. <laughs> right. Right. But I was like, if there's, you know, if someone's, you know, if, like, the, the Tom Cruise neighborhood in War of the Worlds found, like, they were excavating for, like, a shopping mall and they just started finding a tripod. And, like, I was like, okay, I'm into that. And then if it started, you know, 
messing with people. Like yep. I, I just started grafting Tommyknockers onto War of the Worlds. Sure. And it's sure. like, okay, Cruz is like a bum and he's like working in the docks or working construction or whatever. And then they find a tripod and then things start going well in his life for the first time. And he just keeps going back and like digging away at this tripod that he's not telling people about. Like I was like, okay, like I'm, I get that. I, I feel what that movie is like i think there's something really scary and cool about like if you find something alien in your backyard and you're like there's no aliens in it but it's not human like i think right the like the glowing green and like the instant like as soon as you touch it it starts transforming you like i i feel like it should be so much more subtle than that like it's just like the excitement that you found buried treasure in your backyard and then you just keep going back to it and it's like that monkey's paw kind of thing i see yeah. what you're saying like it shouldn't it shouldn't just be cement. It shouldn't block. turn a dummy into. It shouldn't go like f- flowers for Algernon, you know, where like you know you pick up a shovel and you dig at this thing for a few hours and you're a complete dipshit beforehand. But after that, you're like, you know, I can solve complicated, you know, mathematical theorems and blah, you know, yeah, go like, goodwill oh, hunting. Kind of talk to his daughter about right. He becomes more confident. Like, he he, yeah, he like, has better ideas for work. Like. Th- yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like it, it, it should be a gradual thing where the populace of this very small town is like unlocking their full potential that's really all it is and yeah instead of instead of they're all uh doing you know crazy machines <laughs> well no i think i think for some of them that's what it does i think the right. jesus picture in, is in there i think the mail sorting yeah. machine is in there you know there are these like offshoots because that's going to be different for everyone i i think like yeah. I, I wish here's what it is i wish that it was like people that were trying to like if the mail machine, like someone was trying to build that for the first third of the movie and then they crack it. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> instead it's like so many people that are just like, I'm just building machines. It's like grandma's building like a voice machine or whatever. Um, it's like, I don't understand why that person would want to do that. It's like more subtle kind of changes. And I think things that just start making their life better. So it's, it's tempted with alcohol and he's like, yeah, I don't need it anymore. Like there's like that moment where he's like, Oh, I I can say no. Like I said no to this 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 crux, or I, I've written a chapter by hand. That's that's pretty good. And then it builds to like the machines that are writing for him, kind of thing. Yeah, I I see all the ways it could be cool, but it just it seems like so much work. It does. It, yeah. This one feels like, like yeah to break it apart. This, and yeah, it back you would it would it would be admittedly like you know borderline unrecognizable to the right. source but material. Like it would do a great job. Yeah, yeah. So we got to get Mike on it. No, I mean, the one angle that I would, I would really, I think is kind of crucial if you're going to tell this uh, is, I like the concept of the addict being the one to spot that this thing is is a drug for some everybody else that mm-hmm. might not recognize it, and you know, instead of it guard being magically protected by a metal plate that he has in his head maybe it's like he recognizes what this is because he's been through hell and back with his own addiction, you know, probably well, like when he tells and, Bobby, he fell off the wagon. She's like totally cool with it. And he's like, that's yeah. a problem. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, there, like that, that angle is, is, is really nice. You know, I think that there's something there and it. It's also kind of just as a Stephen King fan, looking at what, you know, this book actually means for his uh, whole oeuvre, you know, and what its place in there is that like, this is, this is the one that like, (laughs) you know, that was him, him at his, at his worst as an addict. And, you know, then you, so you can respect that there, there's a lot of things that you can do 
uh, yeah. by just breaking this thing apart and mining it for some really good moments, but also being true to kind of what the theme of the book was, whether or not he intended it to be that theme at the time, you know? So. Yeah, is that is this his most notable cocaine book? These are uh, Cujo, he, I think, right? Yeah, he, he claims Cujo is a book he doesn't remember oh, really? writing. Cujo feels but less aggressively coked out to me. It, that's it, it. It's it's very well structured and paced, and yeah, it doesn't Brutal. read like a cocaine yeah. novel. Uh, Kudo yeah. does, but like he claims he doesn't remember writing it. But you know, that's also maybe you know kind of the problem is you get away with that. You know, at the the depths of your addiction, and you go, oh, good, I'm I'm bulletproof, I'm immortal, I can just do this forever. And then Tommy Knockers is the one that goes, nah, -uh, no sir, you cannot. So but even still, like Tommy Knockers was huge, right? I mean, uh, I don't. Yeah. Like, I, I kept looking up how big a seller it was, but right. I, I, I know, like now, you can go to any bookstore and find Tommy Knockers because it's Stephen King. I, like, would, I, I would. Assume... I definitely remember seeing it like on at friends' houses growing up, and oh, I did for sure. <laughs> oh, I mean, really? Yeah, but yeah. I, I grew up in the period. I think you're younger than than Bespy and I, and right. you know, I remember my you know, like my mom had a hardcover copy of this. Right. And, you know, the parents of kids houses I would go like play at, they, they had, they had a copy too. I would assume oh, that's what I'm yeah. given the period in which this came out. It, yeah, of course it was a bestseller because it was a Stephen King book, but right. I would also be willing to actually let's look this shit up. I'd be willing to bet that if we look back at the titles, I'm, I'm guessing this is one of the first big stumbling blocks. Hmm. So this let's is look also like the first, the first like open like Stephen King plus aliens book. Yeah. Right. Listen, I mean, listen to this. Run. Yeah. Listen, like, let's start at 83. He's got this is 87, right? Yeah. Yes. We'll, we'll build up to it. But but listen to this list of bangers and then the clanger that is the Tommy knockers. Right. So you got Christine Pet Cemetery, Cycle of the Werewolf, The Talisman, Eyes of the Dragon, Thinner. Well, thinner kind of sucks, but that's not good. That was Bachman. It doesn't count. Yeah, it doesn't count. It, drawing of the three, misery, and then Tommy Knockers. Yeah, that is this is eighty seven. I don't know. I I think that if you look at his bibliography, this is the first one where it's like. So this wait, is what? before Cujo. No, Cujo was even. No, Cujo was. Uh, 81 that was i just started oh, in 83 so we weren't there all, here all day oh so he was he coked out during cujo got clean a little bit back in oh, i don't i don't think Knockers. he got clean until until after this book so yeah oh like so. the 80s that whole run is cocaine Jeez. it's cocaine and well, alcohol but like yeah. i think he had his ups and downs but i think it was i i don't know i'd have to look up there, there was like an Maybe ultimatum. Maybe was a point. drinking really novel. About it in on writing, and I, I've been meaning to reread that book because yeah. I read it like a decade ago and was madly in love with it. But Maybe we're misremembering no. Cujo as a Coke book, um, and that was a drinking novel. Because the is quote I remember from him is that he just straight up doesn't remember writing it because he was blackout. So yeah, the other books you mentioned in that run don't strike me as like Tommyknockers, right? Like, like where you, you can kind of feel the the grasp is. Well, I mean, there's there's coked and then there's like fucking coked up. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he could have been using it just. I produce mean... cocaine bear. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another, yeah. And another thing is we don't know when he started writing it. You know, right. he, he's, yeah, he's writing thought, like he multiple novels at any given time. And, right. you know, yeah. that one could have been a six year job. Because you mentioned in that run. 
you mentioned that run that misery came out before this and i'm pretty sure misery was the first novel he wrote sober uh after after the coke thing so so i think that tommy reiner's tommy knockers oh my god could you imagine can you even imagine? I can't would, imagine. Yeah, I think Ryan, I think fucking, fucking incredible. I think Reiner would have made something that's more along the lines of what I'm imagining. Actually, I think he would have found the uh, that that the Ron Reiner run before North is uh-huh. as good as a run anyone's ever had. Oh yeah, yeah. We've t- we've talked about this on the show. Like yeah. y- you look at the sheer number of like iconic classics he turned out in multiple genres it's nuts it's, it's like nuts. it's kubrickian frankly yeah and north which... is at least a swing too it's like i don't think north is is great um but you're like you're not like he's phoning it in like he's it's a swing of a movie yeah um, it, it misses but yeah no it's yeah. going for something and, i and never saw that shit afterwards is is so great too yeah i love rob reiner but and those two king movies are as as yeah, good as adaptations as they get yeah. yeah, and so yeah, he should have done Tommy Knockers. So let's uh, let's He's pivot back around to "No One Will Save You" here here at the end of the show. This is usually where we have self promo. No cocaine corner. will save you but, at yeah. the end of the show. But uh, <laughs> but I I do want to take this opportunity to sloppily blow this movie in public. It is so good. I I really really hope that people will seek it out and find it. I know it's not. A theatrical thing. I know that people have because a lot. It's never intended to be a theatrical. I was just talking with some guys about it, and it's like there's a, a lot of people will be like, "Oh, it's too bad it's going to Hulu." And it's like it was sold to Hulu. It was sure. made for Hulu, and I shot it specifically for you to watch it on your television. So, what I would not give, you know, what to. I'm gonna. <laughs> I don't know what sort of hoops I would have to draw, uh, like jump through, but I'm gonna find a way probably through the Alamo draft house and their connections to screen this in a theater. I would, I would love to see this on the, on the big screen. Um, By the time I, this airs, we'll have, we'll have screened it in theaters in LA. Oh, uh, for real. Yeah. We're well, this is airing, uh, airing the Wednesday before the movie. So yeah, we're doing beyond fest. Oh, that's right. Monday, yeah. I saw them tweeting about yeah, we're, breaking yeah, we're the doing, embargo uh, left and right. And yeah, <laughs> well, this will be out afterwards, but, but pop pop um, can't say anything. I see how it is. It's fine. Uh, it's yeah, fine, yeah, dude. Yeah. It's fine. But yeah. I I'm curious too. I, again, like what we were saying before, it's like the only times I've seen it in a theater with people, there were no aliens <laughs> in the movie, um, which is a very, I know like our sound design and score are, are fucking tremendous. Uh, and yeah, so they none fucking, of that, oh, it's so good. Who did the score of, by of, the way? Oh, Joe Trapanese. He did uh spontaneous with me and, uh, Okay, yeah. Not a bunch, but it's such a knockout of a of a score. The score does a lot of heavy lifting because and I asked about this yeah. before we started recording. I was told that nothing is off limits except for narrative spoilers. So okay. I think we can I, I think here uh we can safely say that um this movie Mom, is dialogue Mom. free. Yeah. Well it's well very, words, very yeah. little, very, 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 very little dialogue. Yeah. And it always like drives me nuts when people call like Birdman one take and then there's like a montage at the end of Birdman. Sure. Um like it's always driven me crazy. So this is for all in, for all intents and purposes though. <laughs> and and I think that I, I I believe that this is one of the most interesting things about it. It is a fucking high wire act that you are that you are yeah. walking here. Like to set out to at what point in the in the writing process of this or the creative process where you like, you know what I should do is remove this crutch. 
Because I don't think it this was like halfway through fucking writing. Really? So it had dialogue yeah. up until that point? No. Well, because, because you're like, wait a minute. Well, no, because it, it like has this like little opening, and you know, Caitlin plays a character that's very alone right. by in her life, and so there's like you know like the eight pages getting to know Caitlin kind of thing, and I specifically was like she needs to be scared of people, you know, because knowing where the, mm-hmm. I knew where her character was going and everything. Uh, and so I was like, well, she's not talking to anybody and pe- she's terrified that someone would say something to her. And then, and then our aliens walk in and so much of that first act is her trying to not make a noise. Um, uh, and then the next time I knew the next time she was going to run into a person, what would happen would not have dialogue just by nature of how um, that scene plays out. Right. Um, and then I remember I talked to my manager, Zach, and I was like, I'm like 46 pages in and she hasn't talked yet. And I don't like I don't have plans, I guess, for her to talk. Uh, and I was like, should I just keep not having her talk? And he was like, yeah, go for it. And then that's a good manager, because I can imagine most managers <laughs> going, gulp, there goes my commission. I think. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I, that's what makes it fucking unique. Yeah, like I, there, I think, there is going to be a certain I think had so much talking. Um I remember like being in the edit and I, cause I worked for years on, on spontaneous just because of studio sales and COVID and everything. And I just remember just being like, I can't believe how much fucking talking there is in this. Right. And then I wanted to be like, okay, I'm going to like really strip it down the next one. But like not wanting to be like, it's going to be fucking silent, like a fucking nerd. Um, and it's then, not nerdy of, though. Like, do you know how no, you would, yeah, ru- yeah, you, you yeah, would I ruin this he, movie in a fucking heartbeat if yeah. she were talking to herself through the through everything that happens or on a yeah, cell told, phone though, to somebody or whatever like it's it's yeah. absolutely part and parcel of the the uniqueness of the experience of watching this movie. Yeah, and I told Caitlin straight up to and it's in the movie like I was like you can talk to yourself but I'm not going to write shit for you to talk to yourself. Like, cause it always comes right. across so phony and bad, right. but I was like, if you're performing and you just feel like you need to be like, you know, mumbling to yourself about what you got to do next kind of thing. I was like, go for, like, this is not like, we're not making this movie cause it's silent. It's just, it's, it's, you're, it's silent because like the title, like title is like, there's no one that is going to help you. And there's no conversation you can have that will get you out of this jam. Um, and like that, like it's supposed to just emphasize your, isolation more than um anything so in the movie there's parts where she's singing along to songs or mumbling to herself like little plans she has to make and we didn't subtitle any of it and it's pretty like low in, in the track too but it was just like you know she didn't like it's caitlin like she doesn't need that and i think she was just excited that she was like oh i you know i have caitlin deaver's face like i can do so much with it <laughs> um well, if I can so, yeah, if was, I can kiss your yeah. ass a little bit more, it's, yeah, it's 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 right there in front of you. It's um, it, the visual storytelling is so strong. You know, it has to do with the framing. It has to do with the edit. It has to do with everything that goes into that sort of thing. But it's so like, like you told me beforehand that the movie was exceptionally light on dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of assumed because. <laughs> I've had other filmmakers say like this, that, or the other thing before I see their movie. And it usually turns out to be an exaggeration. (laughs) I thought you were exaggerating. Basically you weren't exaggerating. (laughs) And so 
I, I knew that going into it. And then about 20 minutes in or so, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, there's no dialogue in this. And then I did not think about it again for another hour, like watching the movie. Like I was most most of the way till the end before I realized, like, holy shit, he's been on that tightrope this entire fucking time. And and so is Caitlin. And and they they fucking did it. Like it's it's like cool. watching a magic trick happen. It's so fucking it's so fucking cool, man. Oh, that's that's very nice of you to say. Yeah, I mean, I think that the cheat code is that she's alone, <laughs> right? Um, not all, but, well, but it, not all, not all the time. No, you know, and, and so there. It, look, it was you know, I had an awesome editor, uh, Gabriel Fleming, who really helped. And like you said at the start, like Joe Trapanese is is the because the, the score does so much of it. And what was really cool about the score that Joe did, and I got this idea because I heard I think Ben David, you know, our our favorite asshole. Um, never seen Exorcist 3 by the way it's all anyone needs to know about Ben David Grabinski his favorite is Exorcist 2 big Jared Leto fan Um, too very upsetting but I think he told me that uh, Matrix Revolutions they did uh, no not Resolution uh, Resurrections the the fourth one they -hmm. did their script table read and they had Tom Tickwer perform the score or like play the score as they did it because the Wachowskis only write the score beforehand. Um, mm. And so talking with Caitlin and then Joe, just cause Joe was on it really early. I was like, can we try that? And so Joe wrote a bunch of the score uh, before we started, including like Caitlin's theme, the aliens theme, all these different themes. And so Caitlin could get to listen to the music beforehand, and the crew could hear the music. Not like not us playing it during the scenes, like assholes, but um it was just available for people to kind of hear and hear the tone right, right. of the movie. And, and then he wrote it to picture um, at the end. Um, but it was really helpful to just kind of be like, oh, it's not just like this long silent scene. It's like, you know, I feel like people, when they hear silent, they think it's really quiet or it's like a, a quiet place. No. Nope. And it's like, this is a loud <laughs> fucking movie. This movie is loud as yeah, shit. It is. <laughs> Like when we showed the studio, they were like, could it be a little quieter? Cause it's, I, I, I want to feel my bones breaking cause the sound is so loud, but yeah, it was just, it was cool, man. It was like a lot of crew were excited about the challenge of it, but no one made the movie because of that part of it. And so it was never, right. the intention was it, that it was sparse. Um, uh, and just having done and like spontaneous as an on, ensemble, but there's a lot of kids and, um, and I love making it, but it, I was just like, I just need like not to worry about like editing around dialogue tracks for like half a second. Um, right. and, and then this was you know, as hard of an opposite as it could be where it was like, okay, so like what story points are clear, what story points are not clear and not having the opportunity to like throw in a line of ADR. That's just like, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, that was that was a big part of the edit challenge was, was like, OK, how can this movie be as clear as possible? Because it is like you said, it's it's not as straightforward as I think people would expect. <laughs> like no, it wasn't for me. I was I was I was caught off guard by it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little complicated and there's a lot going on. There's a lot of like things you kind of have to fill in the gaps. Uh, and part of it is that Caitlin doesn't know what's going on. Her character doesn't know what's going on. And so there's some good confusion. And then there's there was confusion that was probably bad confusion that we worked really hard to kind of give everyone enough of a, a ladder to kind of cling to um, and go yeah. along with. But 
I mean, who? I ho- hopefully, people like it like you did. I <laughs> hopefully as well. I I will. I am. I am. You know, uh, telling our entire audience, go check this movie out when it hits Hulu on Friday. Um, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. And also, if you have not seen Spontaneous, I would strongly recommend that you mm. check that out as well. This is, folks. We are talking to one of my favorite working filmmakers right now. I, I like. I, Brian, I like mm-hmm. you independently of the the stuff you make. There, there's other people I like <laughs> where I'm like, uh, yeah, I like, I, I kind of like. It's hit or miss. You, you have a clear record with me, like a hundred percent across the board, and I'm very excited to see you continue to work. In fact, do you know what you're doing next? Uh, I don't. It's the strikes really fucking everything up. Right. Um, you, Which is you, do you have an eye called. towards not the one genre or another? You know, I love to do. Um, I have a a kind of a, a road trip love story with Lord Miller that I'd love to, mm-hmm. to get off the ground. That's like probably, the movie about Lord and Miller on a road trip. Yeah, it's that the guys falling in love. Um, <laughs> uh, I love to do that. It's probably a little expensive. Um, and then I don't know. I I, I have like a, a smaller link later two people walking around talking thing and whatever it is there, oh, there you will would be fucking talking. kill that and uh there, there will be talking and it will probably not be anything like no one will save you or spontaneous like i'll just keep making my reps miserable by not putting myself in an easy to no buy pigeonhole yourself uh, baby don't do um, that um I, I don't know i i really it's this this strike has been like the first time i've taken a break in my life and I, I have uh, a wife and two little kids and so it's been really nice to like I, I delivered the movie and went on then went on strike a few days later uh and have not opened final draft <laughs> since or or thought about it sure that um, would be that would be against so the it's law been, it's been really uh like i really don't like i don't know i don't have like anything i owe anyone like job wise so it's like i'm completely blank slate so Cool. Uh, I, I also just love someone to hire me to do something, like direct something. Like everyone always, <laughs> everyone always is like, "Well, you're gonna write it." And I was like, "I would love to not write it. I would be so excited to not be the writer and to be on set and have a writer that I could I'd be, be like." I think the voice me. of the screenplays is at least fifty percent of what's attracting me to the movies that you've made so far. I know, but so. I'm trying to disappoint you next. <laughs> well, that's not hard to do. I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> So, that, that's like my dream is someone like that just sends me like an amazing script and i'm just like oh this is fucking great yeah like i well, don't have Eter- to write eternals it. too <laughs> is sitting right there baby you just gotta you just gotta grab it i would work with kumail in a heartbeat oh fuck of course yeah I, I we love, love kumail and he, he sent me a very lovely message after he saw him and, and and emily gordon sent me really nice messages and so i'm like always oh they've seen this no, they saw they saw spontaneous and, oh, and they okay. sent me because Kamel's really an alien guy. Oh, I hope he loves it. Yeah, yeah. Kamel's like sort of my UFO buddy. He's one of the only people I know who will. Oh uh, no, shit. Yeah, who will um like have an actual conversation about UFO shit, you know, and not just like immediately be like, yeah, that shit is stupid. That doesn't exist. And can we? Can, we, can I ask you? Because we kind of talk about this too. Can I ask you when it happens? How is it going to happen? I don't think anything changes until a mothership like drops and stays in position for 
long enough that every news camera in the world gets a good look at it. Because yeah, I think that even with the even yeah. with the whistleblower shit, like I that doesn't count. I believe this guy knows some shit, you know, even if it's secondary knowledge. But until the public gets a look at or an earful of what that is, even and even then, I don't think they're going to mostly believe it. I think we need incontrovertible like the world is witnessing something at the same time before we'll, we'll full on believe it. Like I want to believe in this shit so bad, but it will, Yeah. if we're being honest, you know, with our listeners and ourselves, I, I don't think that I will really believe it until something like that happens because there's always yeah, the I, chance for human error and, you know, some sort of skullduggery. So, right. I mean, we're, yeah, we're living like in a, the, the white house, like landing in the front yard and the president Biden meeting <laughs> or just park meeting. over a fucking ocean. It doesn't need to be over anything, you know, like I don't need a, I think it needs to be somewhere like that arrival. like, like a think lot arrival. of people could see yeah, arrival right? is like, to me, arrival is like the, the most likely sort of, you know, event to occur. These things just show up one day and we're like, what the fuck is that? And then we got to deal with it. I think my go-to is the, annihilation version where it's like the aliens don't even realize that they've shown up and it's just like weird amoebas that change start just changing everything. Yeah. Um, I'm like, that's the version where I'm like, I can see this happening where like everyone's just confused and then it's too late. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, like I would the, love like the, that. I would I'd ship, like, yeah. I, I support any sort of alien apocalypse scenario. I don't want to get I don't want to I don't want nuclear war. I don't want to get hit by an asteroid. I don't want you know, there's a million things I don't want. But like <laughs> if you gave me the option, if you were like, OK, we're going to do an you're, apocalypse you now, yeah. like you're you're wrapping it up like everyone's wrapping it up in the next like 12 months. So these are your options. My first one would be like aliens. Like I want to see that shit. I would love yeah, there's that. like the payoff to like, like, it's like, you know, it's like the things before I die, I would like to see, you know, the first landing on Mars. And sure. I would like to know Elon something that there. I didn't think was real was actually real. Like if yes. it was Bigfoot, I, I want that like one moment, you know, it, like the, the Trump's got COVID moment online. Where <laughs> yeah. just like It fucking happened. And because it so feels excited. like, well, because it feels like everything's been discovered, right? You know, know, it would just it, be the coolest moment where it's just as like something fucking happened that we all like everyone kind of like just give the nerds a win. It's exactly. Um, but it's but odd, though. It, Sometimes that shit happens and then like nobody blinks an eye. Like now I'm thinking like giant squids were thought to be kind of long gone. And now in the last like five years, it's like, no, you know, whatever. I don't know if it's climate change or whatever. Now there's spotted, there's video They we found bodies and all that. And everybody goes, Oh, cool. And then they just moved on. They like, like they don't give a fuck. Yeah, like, I, like, I that think was a mythological creature when that's I was just a child. A, that's just a big squid, like an alien or a UFO would like imply this vastness to the universe, this like ultimate knowledge this that we do not have. Like a giant squid is like, oh, we just, you know, the oceans Maybe. are largely fucking unexplored. You know how, like, everyone, and there's like this big dark secret, not dark secret, but there's like this big theory that like they've cloned mammoths and like they're out in like, uh, 
well, of the wilderness. And they're like keeping it secret because they need X amount of time to do all the studies to prove that it is a mammoth and not like a freak of nature. What? Kind of like, thing. why wouldn't they just keep it in a fucking warehouse? If they were doing know. studies, they turn like, them loose, like, but they got to like keep it secret. Like I don't believe that like, for I don't believe that for a heartbeat. Someone went full Jurassic Park or someone did something where you're like, OK, that is absolutely like all we're going to talk about for the next six hours is before we get bored is this thing that happened. Right. Um, and it feels like the U- alien, like even like the whistleblower stuff, it was so like, like he was under oath, which was crazy. Yes. But also you're like. I can't see it. And I think everyone doesn't trust the government to the point anyway. But then do we trust this, this dude? It's like, yeah, it's like getting, you know, before I uh, shuffle off, just getting to see like one thing where I'm like, Oh shit. Like yeah. as though the, the head of the studio and I used to talk about like, you know, it would be just my luck that, uh, you know, we'd make first contact before this fucking movie comes out and they'd be like super nice. <laughs> um, and then they like see this movie and they'd be like that's so offensive and i inadvertently you made, get like, canceled by an alien civilization alien. yes um <laughs> and it's like i don't think that will happen but like i was like part of the the thrill is that it could <laughs> like you're like i don't know um like am i gonna go on trial for like doing like a really aggressive alien movie versus um, you know, I could have done E.T. And, well, I'll tell you, James Cameron is fucked. Yeah, Spielberg had a good run and then he blew it. Yeah. 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 True. <laughs> true. So much goodwill with our alien overlords or pending alien overlords, right? They're seeing all this stuff, too. And so it's just like it, it, it that is a funny, you know, if they're able to travel this far, I'm sure they've tuned in and and they're, you know, and I, I think Landscape with Invisible Hand kind of covers that, which I, I'm excited to see. Um, but it's like what they are making of all of the, the science fiction we have. I mean, they're probably just like, oh, we're not going to that fucking planet. I don't think they give a fuck about what we're watching for entertainment. But if I think they're, if they're like here, if we, they're like, they've got bigger fish to if fry. We, like if, 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 alien, if we discovered aliens and they had a television type system, all I would do is try to figure out. I mean, I'm sure it would look like that fucking Harmony Corinne movie that's coming out yeah. on infrared. <laughs> and I'd just be annoyed after like two minutes. Uh, but well, that's um, why you're you're not a legitimate scientist. That's why you're a laughing stock in the in the NASA community. You're you're not yeah, focusing on the right thing, <laughs> you know. But uh yes, uh, the Harmony yeah. once again, uh please all of our listeners go watch No One Will Save You this Friday on Hulu. I promise you it is unlike any other movie you have seen this year and certainly unlike any other uh, alien invasion slash home invasion horror movie that you have seen. So Wampler has been cruelly owned by Zencaster, but you should all watch No One Will Save You this Friday or else, he says. And then he also says tricks. I don't know what that means, but uh, uh, <laughs> but our, our recording software is being troublesome at the moment and i think it's time to end this before we lose everything we've recorded brian it's been uh, an absolute pleasure uh we need you to come on and do a bonus episode where it's just you and wampler going like minute by minute through some of this ufo shit people would lose their minds i would love um, to all right well we, we, you are now on the hook to do that wampler says and yes wampler says yes in our chat <laughs> uh uh as uh, the people listening to this will have no idea what the hell's going on but wampler's audio is is uh gone but we can still see him in, in a chat box i think he was ad- abducted actually 
So that would be that would be the he's been abducted by our, That's the way he wanted our, to our go. wonky recording software. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but Brian, this is a banger of a, a of a chat. We you know Wampler loves the movie. I can't wait to see it. And day, uh, yeah, and thanks so much for for coming on. Of course, thank you for having me. Many thanks to Brian Duffield for joining us. Finally, mm. it was about yes. damn time, and uh, and he chose a, a perfect movie to do it with since uh, this is. Uh, the the drum that Scott will be banging for the year 2023 is. Oh, going to be I love this movie, this movie so much, and I, I do want to say that I don't think Brian will bother listening to the show to this point. I think he will probably turn it off after he has stopped talking. So I, I do want to say that I think he was very cowardly in mm. in refusing to come on the show up until this point. I, I am glad that we finally got him on, but I just wish he hadn't been so scared in the first place. I mean, to be fair, we are very intimidating. That's uh, true. Our voices sound mean. Yes. We are like physical that. specimens that people can barely look at because we're yeah. so beautiful. Like you looking know? like looking into the surface of the sun itself. Probably the most intimidating podcast host uh, out there. I think that that's I, would say, I, I think it's a I think we're in a dead heat with the blank check guys in terms of like, uh, you know, intimidation. <laughs> 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 I'm I'm sorry. I'm thinking of like Griffin Newman, like wielding a bike chain on a street corner. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's almost as funny as watching trying to picture me with like a baseball bat with nails. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking that Streets of Fire Warriors kind of. Yeah, we're all fucking. Come out to play. uh, Yeah, we're soft boys. If we were ever hard. That happened many years ago <laughs> in another decade uh, where we're we're all just sitting around talking. But yes, I, I'm, I'm thrilled Brian came on the show and I, I legitimately want to recommend no one will save you to every single one of our listeners. I don't think all of you are going to love it because some of y'all still leave less than five star reviews on the show. And so I know you're not to be trusted, but mm, um, yep. questionable taste. Sometimes one yes. of my favorite movies of the year by an easy margin, top five. I love this movie so much. It's mm. it's like he made it in a lab for me. Well, do you want to, well, we have a few things we should probably talk about. We should, this will be the last episode that airs before <sighs> fantastic fest. Yeah. And, uh, and we're going to be there on the ground. We're presenting a screening of Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. And we also have a live show with, uh, with I guess we can now talk about it, that we have uh, uh, Doug Benson coming on. Yes. Uh, we have Gigi Sal Guerrero, who was just on yes. uh, last week. And, yes. Uh, so we're getting, we liked her so much, we invited her back. She just, uh, we were, once we saw she was at Fantastic Fest, it was like, if we're going to be doing something fun with Doug Benson, we're going to do some Stephen King trivia. The Latina so nice, she guested twice. <laughs> and also another recent guest, Clark Wolf, will be joining yes. us as well. So, so uh, we're going to have a packed live show. And uh, if you're around Fantastic Fest, come in and uh, scope us out. We'll be in our own theater. And so you can get tickets the uh, normal way. Um, yes. I'm not sure how the ticket situation works. If you don't have a badge, I don't know if it's going to be a theater that seats eight people or or 150. I have zero idea on that stuff. So I have no idea what, what the non-badge holders uh, access to the show will be. But uh, uh, but yeah. No matter what happens, you know what? We're going to do our best. Yes. We're going to do our best. We're going to go out there. We're going to have a good time on the field with everybody. And I think with... I think with <laughs> With this particular team in place, there's very good odds that this is like the rowdiest uh, live <laughs> show that we've ever. I like like we built this from the ground up to 
to be a problem for somebody. So, <laughs> so I, I really hope that it is. And, uh, Anyone who's going to be in Austin and we we will be recording this. It it will show up on the Patreon at some point. I I shouldn't have told them this because we want them to come to Fantastic Fest. Right. So, hey, listen, this the only way to ever hear this episode, allegedly, (laughs) is if you come to Fantastic Fest in Austin uh, this weekend and be there on Friday at 2 p.m. at the South Lamar Draft House. Otherwise, who knows if you're ever going to get to listen in. Yeah, I mean, we might cause such a ruckus that they destroy all evidence that it ever happened. And that's if true. That, if that's the case, then sorry, Patreon, you're SOL. So let's talk about next week on the main feed. We are going back to some very sour ground. We are going to have another Pet cemetery chat, and this one's a bit wild. Do you think that we have a lot of a lot of people up on uh, that stage for our Fantastic Fest live show? We, we, <laughs> the guests that we have, we have multiple guests that have like strained the limits of the amount of people we can have on a, a, a single show that's not one of our anniversary shows. Um, we have a an entire... Well, I, I don't know if there's a way to hint at this without just telling people who it is. Do you just want to say say who we got? Um, Yeah, I don't give a shit. Yeah, it, it's five people on the line with us, right? Yeah. Or is it four? Four. four it was going to be five, but we have a whole filmmaking right. collective, essentially, known as the Adams Family. And they make... Uh, they're a, a, a legitimate family, you know, mom, dad, daughters, legitimate yeah, a legitimate, well, not, not like, not a like fake family, not like a film family. It's like, oh, I love you like family. No, they're like, you know, bound by blood and they okay, use right. that blood to make uh, movies and specifically genre movies. They even have a movie at Fantastic Fest. They've had movies at Fantastic Fest before and they got a new one this year. Um, and this was all kind of set up by our friend David Desmalchin, who was just like, these guys are a perfect fit for your show. And you know what? I always trust Dave. He had it exactly right. It's a really fun episode. It's really chaotic and hectic and we get confused with who's talking at some points because there's so many goddamn people on the line. But... Uh, it's a, it's just a fun show and, and they were wonderful guests and I can't wait for you guys to hear the episode when it airs next Wednesday yeah. as usual. little chaotic, yeah. but I love these folks. They, they put their heart and soul into these movies they're making and the movies are good, which mm-hmm. is, it, it's, it's wild that you get a family that can work together like this, but also that they might produce movies that you would actually want to watch. No. And in fact, on the show, like my first question to them is like, what the fuck is the matter with you? Like, how are you doing this? <laughs> Families should not get along this well. Uh, it's it's a really, really fun episode. And uh, as chaotic as it is, we think all of you are going to love it. So look forward to that. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, you want to tell the folks what's going on on our Patreon this Friday? <laughs> I forgot we still had to do that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, we are. We're dropping the latest King Cast commentary track. You know, I'm not excited about it. Um, and <laughs> I'm, I'm excited because it's done. We never have to do it again. That's well, that's that part is true. We um, we have recorded a commentary track for the 1997 Canadian production of Trucks. Ugh. I'm just going to I'm not going to hint around it. I'm going to be upfront about it. Uh, Vespi and I are not proud, but we did it. In order to do this, we brought in a comedy writer, comedian, owner of a, a car that is known as Swamp Trash, which we, you will learn more about on this bonus episode uh, by the name of Cullen Crawford. He's very funny. Uh, I, I will say that and uh, was more than more than game to watch trucks and then come in the next day and watch trucks again with us and, and commentate on it. This particular commentary track is sort of along the lines of 
the Dreamcatcher commentary track <laughs> that we did a couple of years ago with uh, Eric Peacock in that the movie itself is so bad. And uh, I personally got so bored that had to fire up that honking on Bobo Wikipedia page again. We're not happy to be inviting you to watch this movie. And we're not proud of, you know, anything that may have been said during this particular bonus episode. But uh, we are glad, as Eric said, to to have it out of the way. And now we're we're never talking about fucking trucks again. Do you understand me? Like, I'm not <laughs> watching this movie again. I don't want to think about it again. I'm really mad after this after this recording. So yeah, I 100% agree with the we're done with trucks line of thinking. Uh, I do want to m- just make sure it's perfectly clear that unless we, we are make Kate Siegel watch it. Oh, which would be incredible. Or Stephen King. We, that, that's that's our okay. going to be our, okay. our make I'll make that deal thing. right now. Yeah. If we can get Stephen King to sit in the theater with us and watch Trucks, then we will watch it again. Other than that, it's going to be real, real tough. Uh, that said, the commentary, I think, is funny. Funny as fuck. Because there's oh, nothing... the commentary is great. Yeah. But you're going so to have to sit ever... through Trucks to experience it. Right. If you're ever going to watch Trucks, this is the way to do it. And it's pretty much free to stream. It's on what's it, Amazon and it's it's on it's easy to stream, even though there's like really great Stephen King movies that aren't. I don't understand it, but that's the way uh, shit works. Just so open your you... front door, put your head outside and go, I want a copy of Trucks. And and someone from Canada will deliver a copy of Trucks to you. That's how it works. <laughs> It'll arrive on a little remote controlled uh <laughs> a truck that will then proceed to very slowly try to kill you against a curve. Yes. Um, yeah. So if you want to listen to that and you should head on over to patreoncom slash the King and sign up uh, as always, the commentaries are for the top tier, the gunslinger tier. So you'll want to get in on that gunslinger tier. If you want to listen to the commentaries and also it's a good thing to sign up for anyway, cause it's going to be the gunslinger tier that will get you the brand new season of Shelbyville, which drops in just a few weeks on October 13th. So listen for that, go sign up and uh, I guess we'll see y'all in the main feed next week for some pet cemetery talk with the family Adams. That's right, folks. Talk to you later. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. Yours truly.